0: All right, turn in your Bibles with me this evening to 2 Kings chapter 4. By the way, I'll be here after the service and be glad to entertain any questions that you might have. I'm going to take just a few minutes to read a rather lengthy portion of Scripture, but if you'll bear with me through that, it will give us the background that we need for the study. In 2 Kings chapter 4, beginning with verse 8, And it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, where was a great woman. And she constrained him to eat bread, and so it was that as off as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. And she said unto her husband, Behold, now I perceive that this is an holy man of God, which passeth by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall, and let us set for him there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick, And it shall be when he cometh to us that he shall turn in thither. And it fell on a day that he came thither, and he turned into the chamber and lay there. And he said to Gehazi's servant, Call this Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him. And he said unto him, Say now unto her, Behold, thou hast been careful for us with all this care. What is to be done for thee, wouldst thou be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the host? And she answered, I dwell among mine own people. And And he said, What then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, Verily, she hath no child, and her husband is old. And he said, Call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the door, And he said, About this season, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. And she said, Nay, my lord, thou man of God, do not lie unto thine handmaid. And the woman conceived and bare a son at that season that Elisha had said unto her, According to the time of life. And when the child was grown, it fell on a day that he went out uh, to his father, to the reaper's, And he said unto his father, My head, my head. And he said to a lad, Carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. And she called unto her husband and said, Send me, I pray thee, one of the young men and one of the asses, that I may run to the man of God and come again. And he said, Wherefore wilt thou go to him today? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. And she said, It shall be well. Then she saddled an ass and said to her servant, Drive and go forward. Slack not thy riding for me, except I bid thee. So she went and came Unto the man of God to Mount Carmel. And it came to pass, when the man of God saw her afar off, that he said to Gehazi's servant, Behold, yonder is that Shunammite. Run now, I pray thee, to meet her, and say unto her, Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, It is well. And when she came to the man of God to the heel, she caught him by the feet. But Gehazi came near to thrust her away. And the man of God said, Let her alone, for her soul is vexed within her, and the Lord hath hid it from me, and hath not told me. Then she said, Did I desire a son of my Lord? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? Then he said to Gehazi, Gird up thy loins, and take my staff in thine hand, and go thy way. If thou meet any man, salute him not, and if any salute thee, answer him not again, and lay my staff upon the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And he arose and followed her. And Gehazi passed on before them, and laid the staff upon the face of the child, but there was neither voice, nor hearing, nor hearing. Wherefore he went again to meet him and told him, saying, The child is not awake. And when Elisha was come into the house, behold, the child was dead and laid upon his bed. He went in, therefore, and shut the door upon the, them twain and prayed unto the Lord. And he went up and he lay upon the child and put his mouth upon the, his mouth, and his eyes upon his eyes, and his hands upon his hands. And he stretched himself upon the child, and the flesh of the child waxed warm. Then he returned and walked in the house to and fro, and went up and stretched himself upon the upon him. And the child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. And he called Gehazi and said, Call this Shunammite. So he called her. And when she was come in unto him, he said, take up thy son. Then she went in and fell at his feet and bowed herself to the ground and took up her son and went out. Lovely portion of scripture, isn't it? There's some portions of scripture that I read in the word of God that I wished I could have witnessed. Wished I could have been there. But let me just say this to you. This is one of those portions of scriptures that's just full of doctrine. When we look at it, we read it in history, and we read the story, we think, well, this is just an account of a miracle that God wrought in raising this boy from the dead. Let me say to you, every conversion, every time God saves a sinner, he raises one from the dead. Here we see in the Word of God that these verses give us five personalities. And these five personalities, when we look at each one of them individually and then look at them collectively, we see a biblical theology of evangelism. And I want to take just a few minutes and go through these quickly, and I read the whole story so you could have it fresh in your thinking and have clarity in thought. The need of our day is a return to old Fashion gospel preaching. The need of our day is some men that would get back to the basics and the tremble in their heart when they think of all that's going on around us, of humanism and every kind of pragmatic approach that they might find an easy way to try to get people to come to God. It's not a simple thing, it's very important to understand the gospel is simple. But we have so moved it out of the realm of being God doing the work and men doing the work that we have distorted the truth of God in our generation. I go on to point out to you that biblical evangelism starts in the place where this woman lived. The Bible tells us that she lived in Shunem. Shunem means a place of rest. You have to believe that God is sovereign. You have to believe that you can rest in the fact that God is all-powerful and powerful enough to save the hardest of sinners. Can I hear an amen? amen? They don't get too hard for God to raise from the dead. Let me say this, you and I are living examples of God's power to save and transform lives. I am saved today because God came to where I was, quickened me through the preached gospel, and made me alive unto God. When I search the scriptures, I see that there is a place of rest in that. I have loved ones that I'm witnessing to. I go out and knock on doors just like you do. We're witnessing and doing everything in our power to send out missionaries to get the gospel out of what have you. And we can rest in a sovereign God that he will always do right and especially he will bring those to himself that he's purposed to say. I share with you that biblical evangelism is seen in these personalities, and I start with a great woman. Now it's one thing when I say somebody's great, it's another thing when God says somebody's great. God said in this word that this was a great woman. Has it ever dawned on you that when God says somebody's great, we ought to stop and look in the word of God what that person has done, or what they are, that we can learn about what makes them great in the eyes of God. The Bible tells us that she was one that was depicted as a woman that had a heart for God. And here we see the devotional life of every evangelist. Anybody that's going to be used to God has to be someone that loves God and has a heart for God. We live in a generation where we have so much mechanics. We have so many mechanics and we just turn things as a mechanical thing and we just go through the routine and we try to get decisions and we get them into the baptismal pool and we carry them along. What we need to see is that this work is a work of miracle. It's a miracle. It's a miracle of grace that God has to do in the heart. But you know what he does? He uses people that have a heart for him. You know, I, I don't know about all these cold hearts out here trying to talk to somebody about Jesus. The Bible tells us that this woman had a passion for God. The man of God came into their area. You know what she did? She constrained him to come into their home. You say, what do you mean? They did not have a Bible like you and I have in that day. But when the prophet of God came by, he had the word of God. And she constrained the man of God to come into her heart. I think it's interesting. The Hebrew word means to lay hold of them and drag them in. She's after a man, but she had one. She's married, so it wasn't that kind of man. She was wanting to hear from God. We're living in a generation where we just want to go through and tip God and have no reality of a relationship with Jesus Christ and want others to just be climbing over themselves to get to us so we can tell them how to be saved. I go on to point out to you that this woman had a hunger for the things of God. And I remember when God first saved me, I was a young man. You might as well have given me the keys to the church house. I was always the last one to leave and the first one to get there. A heart for God. I was a young preacher and I'd go and get with those old preachers and I'd go to the motel when the evangelists would come and I'd sit in the motel and ask him hundreds of questions. I think back on those questions today and I'm reminded that they were so immature. Some of the questions were so trivial. But those men of God never acted that way toward me. They were so glad that somebody had a hunger for God. Let me share with you, we don't need the routine of a church going through activities. We need hearts for God. The Bible tells us that she not only had a hunger for the things of God, but she was a a woman of hospitality. You know what she did? She told her husband she didn't do it on her own. She sat down with her husband and said, I perceive this is a man of God that comes by here. He said, so we need to take care of this man of God. Can we not build a prophet's chamber on the wall to take care of him? You know, it's amazing to me. I became pastor of the church uh, when I was only 26. And, and uh, I was sitting there, and here's an old deacon come walking in with his wife at my house. And, and uh, I was washing clothes. And she says, you know, it never dawned on me you have to wash clothes. Thought, you know. See, what we fail to understand is, is that men of God have the same needs as anybody else. It's a significant thing. A table and a stool and a candlelight. These are simple things, but you know basics is all we need. And you know what's important in the thing is that this woman was trying to take care of the man of God. Do you know that how one treats the man of God is how they treat God? If we have a love for the word of God and the things of God, we'll love the man of God. And the important thing is, it's the simple things where we take care of others around us. But listen to this thing. Their home was a home of hospitality. You know what God wants to do? God wants to use your home as a place for people to be saved. You know what the Bible says here? That in her home, her son would be raised from the dead. You know what God is saying to us? God is saying to us that we ought to dedicate our homes. Wouldn't it be glorious for you to go out and to witness to your neighbors and talk to your neighbors and those around you, and as you go out and talk to them about the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been an example as a godly husband and father. You've been as a godly example as a wife and a mother, and you have children that behave and act like Christians. And all of a sudden, the question comes in the mind of people, what makes this home different than other homes? And then we can say, Christ Jesus changed our home. Can I hear an amen? See, God wants to use your home as a place to raise the dead. He would use the illustration of this woman and her hospitality for us to see the importance of our being involved, of being hospitable. But I go on to point out too she is also humble. It's an amazing thing, this woman she has done this thing for the prophet of God. He has spent his time upstairs in the prophet's chamber and he's rested. Then he says to Gehazi's servant, he says, what can we do for this woman? Listen, he was such a man of influence. He could have gotten her an appointment with the king. Do you want to see the king? How about the captain of the host? She said, I dwell among mine own people. You know, the evangelism that God would have us to be engaged in is an evangelism to understand that the same needs are for everyone that we're around, whether they be old or young, whether they be educated or uneducated. I, uh, I'm always amazed at how we're afraid to talk to a doctor about salvation, or we're afraid to talk to someone with education about the things of God, fearful that we can't measure up to the task. They have needs and they hurt just like everybody else. We need to witness to every man, every boy, every girl, tell them about Jesus Christ and his transforming power. But humility says, I am what I am by the grace of God. And when others see that God's grace has transformed your life and there's a real change, then they're going to want the same thing. You know why I'm a Christian? I saw a Christian. You know why you'll become a Christian? You'll come in contact with a real Christian if you're not saved, and all of a sudden you'll be influenced by that changed life, and you'll wonder, what caused this life to be changed? Secondly, the sun. The sun pictures for us the condition of every sinner. The Bible teaches us about the doctrine of man being dead in trespasses and sin, that he's a sinner by nature. A man does not go to hell because he has sinned sins. He goes to hell because he's a sinner by nature. He needs to be born again. He needs a new nature. His sins are an evidence that he has a heart that is corrupt, that needs to be changed. The Bible doctrine is total depravity. Somebody said, "What in the world is that big theological word? It means you're dead in trespasses and sins. It means that you cannot come to God." in John 6:44. No man can come unto me except the Father which has sent me draw him. And he goes on to say, and I'll raise him up in the last day. That's even eternal security in that. But let me just point out to you, he says no man can come. Now let's do a little English class here. Amen. (laughs) You know how you used to say to your teacher, can I go to the bathroom? And uh, she'd look at you and say, I'm surely sure you can go to the bathroom. And uh, she would correct you, and she'd say, say, may I go to the bathroom? That's asking permission. But no man can come is a verb of ability. No man can come. friend. you can't save yourself. You can't come to God on your own. You got more to do than you can do to explain to a dead man how to be saved. You see, it takes the quickening power of the Holy Spirit of God... Upon the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. But if the Holy Spirit of God doesn't take that Word and quicken the heart of that sinner and make him alive unto God, he'll never come to salvation. First of all, the Bible says that he said, uh, this little boy came to to his dad and he said, My head, my head. Do you know people that are not saved are sick in the head? I knew you'd like that, but it's the truth. And don't get too too cocky about it. You and I once were insane in sin too. Isn't that right? The Bible said, he said, my head, my head. Think of the humanism that's in our land. I mean, we're, we're, we just don't make any sense at all. Here's a crowd saying up there, here's a murderer. Let's don't exercise capital punishment, but let's kill the babies. Does that sound pretty stupid to you? Sound like somebody's sick in the head. We were all there before God saved us. There was a time that we didn't understand. We had the wrong philosophy of life. We were thinking with a humanistic philosophy. And everything was centered around man. But when God saves and transforms a life, everything centers around Christ. It's important to understand that this lad was dead. Not not just sick. He was dead. You know, I was teaching in a meeting somewhere one time, and the fellow walked in. I was preaching from Ephesians two. The fellows came up to me and said, "Doctor Dickerson, could you help me?" I said, "Yes." So, what does that word "dead" mean in the Greek? I said, "Dead." <laughs> <laughs> it's sad when we are dead in trespass and sin. We're dead toward God. When a person is dead physically, he doesn't respond to his friends or his family or anyone around him. He's dead. You can talk to him till you're blue in the face, but he cannot hear, he cannot see, he cannot sense your presence. Every sinner is dead toward God. He has no heart for God. He has no ability to know God. Apart from God's resurrecting him spiritually, making him alive unto himself. (laughs) It's significant that we see here in the Word of God that this son pictures for us those that are dead, it trespasses, and sin. And I'm going to say this to you, Mama. you got more to do than you can do when that son is in your lap and you're thinking, he needs life. You can't give him life, Mama. You can't give him life, Daddy. If God doesn't give the life, it'll never come. But boy, when he gives life, he raises them from the dead and not just gives them life, but gives them abundant life in Christ Jesus. I hasten to point out to you the husband now. Yeah, before I go there, let me just say this to you. Have you ever met these folk that uh, are always trying to help God out? Uh, somebody's dead and trespasses sin, they don't understand the thing that's going on, but we're... We're, 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 we're so optimistic, you know. You know, we say to them, they said, Oh, yeah, you really see that. Now, you know, we know you see that. They don't see it. I, uh, stand at the back of the door of the church, shaking hands with people. I was Leaving on one Sunday, and this lady, she looked at me and she says, Uh, I like you, preacher, but I don't believe what you said today. I said, Oh, surely you do. I mean, this is the truth of God. No, I just don't see it. And she doesn't. She didn't. She left not knowing. part it, I know, she's still without Christ. You know, you meet these fellows that talk about Lazarus. <laughs> Jesus went down. Lazarus had been dead four days. And uh, a stone was on the grave. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes to that grave and says to Mary and Martha, roll the stone away. And he said, Master, by now the Holy stinketh. You know, we're afraid we'll stir to stink. Uh, I want to share with you, real biblical evangelism goes after that sinner and we obey God in every way of the Great Commission and rolling stones away. Then we allow God to do the work. We get out of the way. What did Jesus say? Lazarus, come forth. He didn't say, Lazarus, meet me halfway. Uh, Lazarus, you do your part and God will do his. Salvation is of the Lord. God has to make them alive unto himself. But this husband is an interesting fellow. He pictures the complacent Christian. You know, I, I, when, I, when I look at him, I just, get, I just get angry in my heart. You know why? Because there's so many of them in our churches. It's an interesting thing. He had no spiritual perception. None whatsoever. You know, it's a sad thing when our churches... Do not have spiritual men. And I want to say to you. It's a good thing we have spiritual women. But God wants spiritual men in the church. To lead the church. To lead their wives. To lead their children. What happened? Bible tells us that it was the Shunammite woman that said. "Ah, Behold a man of God. This is a holy man of God that cometh by here. Why couldn't he have seen it? You know why? He was too busy centering on other things rather than spiritual things. I'm going to tell you that you and I will only be good fathers and good husbands as far as we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And when we have a good relationship with him, we can understand spiritual things. His life had the the spirit of work and industry and we're going to make a living for our children and we're going to take care of our children and forgetting the spiritual he had a spiritual concept uh, that was warped it was all messed up but i go on to point out to you he had no spiritual concern for his son now here's what happened the son comes up to him and says father my head my head hey lad come here you're one of the servants take my lad my son to his mother how often do we hear (laughs) daddies say when their children say daddy what i need to do to be saved go talk to your mother can i hear an amen well i mean we're getting slow in here but that's the way it is amen you say preacher how do you holler amen when you got a knife at your throat amen But the point is, his attitude was, let someone else do it. God commanded me and you to do it. If you're born again and saved by the grace of God, we have been given the responsibility of evangelism. And no one, mama, will care for your sons and daughters like you. Listen to me, daddy. There's not a preacher in the world that should care for the souls of your sons and daughters more than you do. He's more concerned about material needs. I'm telling you, he got all upset whenever she sent out there and said, uh, she didn't even say to him, hey, your son's dead. He's laying up there in the room in the prophet's chamber. She didn't say that. She said, give me a servant. Give me a donkey and a cart. And I'm going to go to the man of God. Now not you to listen to this guy. He's the kind of guy that his Christianity is for Special days only. Huh? What did he say? What are you going to go to the, every night to the revival meeting? You, that's all you ever do is go to church. What's the matter, you woman? Here is no new moon. This is not a special Sabbath. Why is it you want to go see the man of God today? And her son was lying dead. Listen to me, folk. Too many fathers and too many men in our churches are missing out, and their sons and their daughters are perishing. He said, I need the cart in the field. I need the donk in the field. I need the servant in the field. i got to at least provide for this boy to have an education for him we got to set him up so that when he marries and has children, he won't have the burdens that we have. I want to say this to you. If you gain the whole world and lose your soul, what have you gained? What have your sons and daughters gained? They can have the Ivy League education. And they can have all the things that this world has to offer. But if God does not save their soul They will spend eternity separated from God in hell forever. It's interesting. His religion was a religion of convenience. Let's look at the servant for a minute. Gehazi. His message is is alarming too because it fits in our society. He pictures for us the unspiritual, unscriptural personal worker. Here's a man that when the Shunammite starts coming up the mountain, coming up to Mount Carmel, where Elijah is, along with, uh, Elisha is along with uh, his servant, and he sees him become, coming, and Elijah says, Behold the Shunammite! He said, go to her and see what the deal is. Ask her, is it well with thy husband? Is it well with thy child? Is it well with thee? And all of a sudden, here he goes, tearing out. He gets over there and says, is it well with thee? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with your son? And she just kept on walking. It is well, it is well. You know why? She had a crisis. And listen to me. When we get into trouble and our sons and daughters are perishing and they're dying, we don't go and find some carnal carnal goat that's a member of the church and get him to pray over them and work with them. We don't find somebody that is passive in their Christianity or they're half committed. No, we try to find somebody that knows God, that can pray and lay hold of God and intercede in our situation. Can I hear an amen? We want the real thing. It's my son that is dead, that needs to be raised from the dead. And when that sincerity comes, they have no time for this foolish, light-hearted stuff that's going on in our generation. A pragmatic approach. The end justifies the means. As long as we can get their money, and we can get their numbers, and care not a thing about their soul. I'm telling you, it is a sad generation that we're living in. But let me go on to point out to you, this servant lacks sensitivity. Here, she comes up to the man of God, falls down at his feet, puts her arms around his feet, and is begging him. She's weeping. What does the man of God say? man of God says she has a vexed spirit. There's something really bad wrong here. And God's not shown it to me. I want to tell you one of the worst places a pastor can be in is in a place where God has not shown him what's going on in that congregation. He was concerned. But Gehazi comes running up, and he was about to take him and thrust her to the side. I was preaching a meeting in Tennessee. Talking about... Foolishness. There was a young lady came and bowed in the altar, and then on this side there was a young man that came and bowed an altar, and this mother came and dealt there, and the pastor's wife came and dealt, and they dealt with this child. She was about fifteen, and God saved her. On this side, there was a young man knelt in the altar. I reached down, and I said to him, I said, sir, what's your reason for coming? He said, I'm lost, and I need to be saved. Well, the pastor came across, because I was continuing the invitation, came across, and they said, he knelt down beside, and as he knelt down beside this man, he said, what is your need? He said, I need to be saved. And here came the associate pastor. Came all the way across from that side, all the way across on the side, put his foot in between the pastor and that man, and pushed the pastor aside and said, I invited him, I'm going to win him to Jesus. I'm going to tell you, folk, that's that's insanity. You got more to do, sir, than you can do to explain Jesus to a blind man. It's not a matter of my having the right to instruct them and bring them in. I don't even have enough sense to even help myself much greater, help somebody that's dead in trespasses and sin and blind. Let me just say this to you. We live in a generation that has made this thing of the work of God's grace, which is a miracle, something everybody can do. We can just help them get on to Jesus. I'm telling you, we have a role in this thing, and we are to witness, and we are to pray. But there comes a place that we have to commit them into the hands of God. And if God doesn't open their blinded eyes, they will perish in their sin. And what I am preaching is not popular. But I tell you what it'll do to die with. It'll do to keep the blood off the hands of the man of God that preaches the Word of God. He lacked sensitivity. He lacked common sense. He lacked lacked discernment. But he didn't lack training. He had been to the soul-winning class. What do you mean? That's the truth. Here's what you do now, Gehazi. You said, amen, take my rod... And you go beat a straight line up there to where that son is in that prophet's chamber. And when you get there, you go right down to Roman's Road and lay that rod right on him. And he'll get up. Let me just say this to you folk. Nothing wrong with Roman's Road. Some folk need to get on the Damascus Road. <laughs> You say, what's the Damascus Road? Where the Holy Ghost of God, the light of God's glory, came down and everything that Stephen had testified about was quickened in the heart of Saul of Tarsus, that old wicked man.
1: And God
0: saved him, changed him from within out, and he became the great apostle to the Gentiles. You say, preacher, what are you saying to us I'm saying to you, this is a work of grace. If God doesn't do it, it won't be accomplished. (laughs) Well, here comes Gehazi back. Elisha meets him, said, Elisha meets him, said, Well, so what was accomplished? And uh, he said, It just didn't work. You know what? Some of you have quit visitation. Club. It just don't work. Some of you could come to the house of God on Wednesday night and Sunday and other night. No, it just don't work. You know what our problem is? We're trying to make it something we can do. Now we can be faithful and we can stay in the word of God and we can stay on our knees but it's God that saves sinners. It's God that gives us grace to know how to work with them. Amen. I tell you, I like you folk. When I say, say amen, you say amen. <laughs> now it brings me to this last one. The last one here is this prophet of God. I want to tell you about him. He's a biblical evangelist. He does the way it ought to be done. Number one, he's a spirit-filled man. We find that over... In the first part of Second Kings, he's following after Elijah. And what does he ask for? Elijah said to him, after he crossed over the Jordan, he'd hit smitten the water and he'd gone forth, the water was smitten, and he went forth on dry ground with Elijah, Elijah and they walked on and they talked. I love it. Nothing like walking with our heavenly Elijah. And him say to us, what can I do for you? You know what he could have said? I want the biggest Baptist church in all of Mount Carmel. I want everybody to know that I I got the biggest Baptist church. That's not what he said. He said, I want a double portion of the Spirit of God. He said, I don't want what you got. I want twice as much what you got. Let me, let me just say to you, I had two of the greatest pastors ever drew breath. Dr. Ray Brown taught me expositional preaching. Dr. Ray Bearden taught me intercessory prayer. Many a time I've come by the office while I was in seminary and I'd go by the office at the church and I'd go in because he'd given me a key to the study and I'd open up the door of the church and I'd go in and I could hear him groaning down the hall. Oh God. Oh, God, if you don't save sinners, oh, God. We're a prayerless people. We're a people without the power of God. And it's not just my saying this to you. I deal with it in my church. We deal with it across the land in meetings. You say, Pastor, what are you saying to us? He was a spirit-filled man. He was full of the power of the Holy Ghost of God but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. His evangelism started with private prayer. He arrived, when he got there, he had a prayer meeting. I picked up the habit of Elisha. Elijah. He walked and prayed. I do that at my church. I go there before the services and I walk all around that building. I walk up and down the aisles I pray. You know what? Just like it is here, I guarantee you, you sit in the same place every Sunday. Hey, Amen. You got your old seat. I know where you sit now already, looking at you. And I go walking down that aisle, I said that's where Sister Jan sits and that's where Jamie and Allen sit, and you know, I just go down I know where they sit. I know when they're not there, too. <laughs> and I got one old one old boy who loves God. Every once in a while he moves around so he can keep me keep me wondering. <laughs> I'll be a preacher and find him over there in the wrong place. I said, What are you doing over here? He said, it's all right to sit in this church. There's plenty of seats. I can sit anywhere I want to. <laughs> but his ministry started with prayer. Listen to me. We have not because we ask not. We are not seeing God save sinners because it's not important to us. We as individuals put this on a back burner. There's no use in being so fanatical in this generation. But it started with prayer, verses 32 and 33. And then he personally identified with a fellow. What he did is he got on top of that son, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands, stretched his body out. This was an act of faith because he would defile himself touching the dead. But when he identified with it, he personalized... You know, you and I, if we're not careful, we will try to be the theologian that instructs the sinner. I can just hear old Paul. I said at the feet of Gamaliel. I had a wonderful experience on the Damascus Road. I have got all kinds of degrees that qualify me to tell you how to be saved. Is that what he did? No, what he did is... O king. One day I was traveling down the Damascus Road and God shone a light around about me and shut me up. God saved me and changed my life and I've been faithful to that heavenly vision ever since. Quit trying to give a theological dissertation when if you'll do it theologically correct you can give your testimony and it will speak to their hearts. God ever done anything in your heart? If he has saved you and changed you by his grace, then there is that great work of salvation in your soul, and you are a living example of what God can do for any dead sinner. Well, he identified with the lad. It's an interesting thing. He leaves, and he goes back, And I love this, what it says in the scriptures. He goes back and he walks back and forth, walking to and fro. But you know what it said about that last little visit where he identified with? The holy is warm. (laughs) What do you mean, preacher? He wasn't in. You know what we try to do? We get them warm and then we get them in the baptismal pool. We don't need a warm corpse in the baptismal pool. We need somebody alive. Can I hear an amen? Hey, I'm getting you folk broken in here. It's important to understand that God alone can save the sinner. I keep hammering that point because it's true and we need to hear it that God would use you and me if we would personally identify with folk. Monday before Christmas, I got up. And I had no vision in this right eye. Half of it was gone. It scared me. So I called the doctor. And they do emergency surgery. I had a detached retina. The next morning they said to me. I had to go in the hospital. They said to me. "So well, don't you see the doctor this morning. He's going to come around and see. And he's going to examine you to see what happened with this surgery. I went in. He had me in his little chair there sitting there. I said, uh, Doctor uh, Frank, I said, Before we say anything or do anything else, I just want to thank you for helping me. I needed help. And you did surgery on me, and he said, Yep, and we're going to save that eye. I said, Glory to God, Doc. I thank you so much. And I said, I just want to thank you for being an instrument in the hand of God to help me. And he said, "Uh, Preacher, I was not only here yesterday to help you, but you're here today to help me. He sat down in his little chair and rolled it right up to me. And I'm sitting in that chair where he examined your eyes. He rolled right up to me, put his knees right against mine. Looked me in the eyes. He said, I'm a believer. I said, I know. You told me that yesterday before we went into surgery. I asked. And he said to me, Preacher, you don't know what you just said to me, how much it meant to me. He said, two months ago, my little baby girl died all of a sudden. Four years old. Gone. She took ill. And before we could even get her treated, Figure out what was wrong with her, she's gone. And he said, Preacher, my wife and I are hurting in ways we've never hurt in our lives. But God sent you here to help me come in, you're going to have a prayer meeting. I said, Yes, sir, we'll have a prayer meeting. He reached out there and took me by the hands and he said, Talk to my God for me, Preacher. I began to pray. I mean, God came in that room, glory to God, scared the nurse to death. She just went out the door. And I'm over there praying, he's a squalid, and I'm a squalid. I'm going to tell you this, if we will be real and personally identify with people, we can win them to Christ and we can minister to them. Well, he goes back and prays again, and then he goes back and identifies with him again. And all of a sudden, the Bible says he needs seven times. That's a, the that's a number of perfection. Work's done. Amen. And the old boy, he's alive now. And you imagine this. Elisha says to the servant, "Said said, fetch his mama. Glory, there's nothing like a mama seeing her son that was dead alive. There's not anything like a daddy and a mama seeing their sons and daughters that were away from God and away from life, and now have come to life in Jesus Christ. You're talking about a happy reunion. I was preaching in Tennessee and Mountain Church, and this lady come walking up to me after the end of the service. Said, "I drove all the way over here to hear you tonight. You're my favorite preacher." And I didn't know who she was. I said, I was scared. <laughs> I thought she had the wrong David Dickerson. I said, uh, uh, well, I said, praise God, sister. I'm glad you're here. You know, I didn't know what else to say. And she looked at me and she said, 15 years ago, you preached in a tent meeting in Alabama. And you preached faith into my heart and God saved me. And she said, preacher, I just want you to know I pray for you all the time. God used you to bring me to Christ. I want to tell you, folk, you don't ever forget those that bring you to Jesus. One final illustration, and we'll go home. Can I hear an Amen. <laughs> I received a phone call, and the phone rang, and I answered the phone, and it was... Betty Wisner, a lady in my church. She said to me, she said, Pastor David, said, uh, will you please uh, pray about going and seeing my daddy? He's lost. And I said, yes, ma'am. She said, I'm just burdened for my daddy. And I said, yes, ma'am, I'll go see him. I said, let me pray, and I'll decide here in a day or so when and what to go. And then she says, well, I want you to go see him, but I, I just... I, I feel like it's necessary that I caution you. I said, Why, what do you mean? She said, well, there's two other preachers went to see him. He run one off with a butcher knife and the other with a shotgun. <laughs> I said, yeah, praise God, I'm going to right on down there right now. <laughs> and I went down and I said, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray, and then I'll go and see him one of these days soon. I planned to do it that week. Well, she called me back two days later. Pastor David said, yes. She said, Daddy's had a stroke. He's in the hospital. He's in bad shape. She said, will you go see him? I said, sure, I'll go see him. (laughs) At least I had him subdued, amen. And I said, I'll go see him. I went in, got there. He's in intensive care. I went walking into that unit. They let me go in. I went walking in. I went back in there. And uh, he looked at me and said, man, he was rough. He was a drunk. He was mean. When his wife died, he was so drunk, they had to have two police officers sit on either side of him to keep him under control so they could conduct the funeral service. I know, because I was there helping with it. But what happened was, he looked up at me. He said... uh, Are you the doctor? I said, no. He said, well, who are you? I said, I'm Betty Lou's pastor. He said, I guess you come to preach to me. I said, no, not necessarily. But I said, I am concerned that you know about Jesus Christ. He said, well, go ahead and do whatever you're going to do and get it over with. I said, well, today I'm going to pray for you. Is that all right? He said, yes, sir, get on with it. I got down on all fours right at the foot of that bed. I'm serious. I got down. That takes care of those nurses. They don't stay long. <laughs> of course, you have to be careful when you're in, in asylum. They think you're one of them, and they, they just lock the door behind them. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I got down, and I started praying. I got through praying. I begged God to save him, reveal himself to him. I got through. He looked up at me and he said, you through? I said, yeah. He said, well, it's all right with me that you're dismissed. I said, okay. Then he looked hollered at me. He said, all right, it's all right. You can come back sometime. I left. I got home and uh, burdened my heart. I'll need to go back to see him tomorrow. So I went back the next day. And I walked in there. He says, you again? Man, I wish you could have seen that guy. He was rough as a cop. That's a Georgia way of saying he was in bad shape. He looked up at me, and this is what he said to me. He said, you came here to preach to me today. I know. I can tell by looking at you. I said, no. But I said, I will read the Word of God, you if you'll let me. He said, well, get on with it. I read the third chapter of the Gospel of John. I read all 36 verses. That's all I did. I didn't even pray that time. Turned, walked out. I got home and the phone was ringing. Betty Wisner was on the phone. She said, Pastor David, Daddy just called me and said you was up there and that you went yesterday and prayed for him Today you went in there and you read scripture to him. He said he never had had anybody explain scripture so clearly as you do. I said, I don't explain any scriptures. All I did was read the word of God. All I was doing was pray Do you see the point? He got warm, but he wasn't alive. You know, it's so easy for us to mix that up. But you know what he did? He got out of the hospital. I get a telephone call. (laughs) And it's Pastor Troy Foster, one of my associates. He said, Pastor David... I got a real burden for Mr. Milstead. I said, I do too. I said, I'm going to go see him tomorrow, a Saturday morning, at his daughter's house. He said, I'm going with you if you'll let me. I said, I'll do it. Let's just meet and pray. So we met at 8 o'clock, had a prayer meeting. Phone rang again. It was Ricky Wisner, the grandson. Ooh, I'm just broken about my grandpa. He's got to get saved. He's going to go to hell. Will you... Pastor David, what am I going to do? I said, man, Pastor Troy, we're going to go see him tomorrow. You want to go with us? He said, yeah. So he came on the prayer meeting. We had a prayer meeting. We got through praying that morning. We went out. I drive a Honda. So we drove off in one accord. Amen. <laughs> Amen. We drove right up there to that aunt's house. And I walked up the door, knocked on the door. The aunt came to the door. There was Ricky. And there was <laughs> there was Pastor Troy, and she said, come on in, boys. He's down the hall in the right room, down at the end of the hall. So here was Ricky going in. As he went walking in. That was his grandpa. Here come Pastor Troy right along behind. Here I came right behind him. We walked around the corner, and he said, Ricky walked into that, into that bedroom. I just knew God was working. I knew God was working. And he goes into that bedroom, and when he walks into that bedroom, all of a sudden... Here's what he says. Ricky, where's them turnip greens and cornbread your mama promised me? Now what did cornbread and turnip greens have to do with salvation? I was really baffled. And a few minutes after they'd talked a while, Pastor Troy walked up. Pastor Troy talked to him. Played with him. It was over with. He met the side and I walked up to the side of the bed. And he looked up in my face. He said, Preacher, you came to preach to me today, didn't you? I said, Yes, sir, I'm here to preach to you today. Tears started running into his ears, down his neck. I said, Mr. Millstead, and I didn't take him down the Romans Road, I didn't take him down the John's Gospel Road, which are okay. Don't misunderstand me. It's okay to use those tools. All I did was tell him how Jesus loved sinners. He took upon himself a robe of flesh. He'd come and die upon the cross of Calvary and be raised from the dead, that sinners that will beg him. I said, He saves beggars. It was an amazing thing. It was an amazing thing. He looked up at me and he said, Preacher, I don't know how to get saved. I don't know how. I don't know how. I said, Sir, God saves beggars. And I said, Are you willing to? acknowledge you're a sinner and beg Jesus to have mercy on you and acknowledge that Christ died for you. He said, Preacher, I've never prayed. I don't even know how to pray. I said, Ricky, come on over here. Get down there. Pastor Troy, get over here. We all met down. I said, now, Mr. Millstead, we're going to pray for you, and I want you to start begging God to save you. We started praying. Right in the middle of that prayer, I heard him squeaking out. Oh, God. Oh, God, have mercy upon me. We got through praying. (laughs) Everything got quiet in the room. And he was paralyzed in his right arm, and his left arm was still good. He just shot it straight forward. He got me! He got me! Glory to God, he got me! You see, that's salvation. That's when God does the work. God has to get you. It's not us putting something into their mouth and leading them into a baptismal poo. It's God's regenerating grace that quickens them and saves them and makes them alive unto God. I love you. Been here one time. Preached too long, but that's all right. You're doing good with it. If you wasn't doing good with it, I'd shut her down. (laughs) That's the way I am. But it's time to shut it down. But it would be wrong for you to hear the message and God speak to your heart and you do nothing about it. God's dealing with your heart. How about it, daddies? How about it, men? Were you the spiritual leader in your home you're supposed to be? Or are you putting off the Salvation of the souls of your sons and daughters to your, to your wife. How about it? Are we trying to do the work of the ministry, of the energy of the flesh? Are we trying to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit? Let's quietly stand and be with our heads bowed. And I want to pray for you. Pastor, if you'll come, please stand. <clears throat> I'm not a big invitation guy. I don't know how to give one. But I'll tell you this, if God's dealing with your heart, you need to deal with things where you are. And now's a good time to do it. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you'll do in this congregation what only you can do. I beg you, in Jesus' name, to reveal yourself to us. Lord, forgive us of our carnality of our complacency. Forgive us, God, of our lack of passion for the souls of men. And I beg you now, in Jesus' name, allow the truth of God's sovereign grace to motivate us that you would save our loved ones, that they might join us, sitting alongside us, singing praises to the Lamb of God and worshiping the Lamb of God that we love so dearly. God, do a work here. Start it tonight, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.